This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Well, it's great to um, gather together on our first Advent Sunday. Um, This Advent period of expectant waiting and preparation as we look forward to celebrating um, God entering our world in the person of Jesus. It's a time of reflection and contemplation, pondering and remembering who God is and what Christmas means. Now, up on the screen is going to um, come up a couple of familiar images that you might have seen. These two image illusions where one image can be seen in two entirely different ways. So we've got Rubens Vaz there and the duck and the rabbit. I'm sure you're familiar with those. But you can immediately see one image and could mistakenly think that actually that's the only image to see. Unless you look again and wait and gaze upon the image until eventually another equally significant image begins to emerge. If it's the first time you've seen these, then it might take you a while to see the second image. And what we, can, what we expect to see can sometimes prevent us from seeing something else unless you take time to stop and look again. And it can be a bit like that with Christmas. We are so familiar with the story and what it means that what we already know and expect to hear can prevent us from receiving anything else unless we take time to stop and pause and gaze again. So that's what I want to invite us all to do this Advent period, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, is to take time to pause and gaze again at the mystery of the Christmas story, that God would reveal something fresh of himself to us again, maybe something we didn't even know was even there. During these Sunday morning Advent services, we're going to be looking at the familiar names that the prophet Isaiah used to describe Jesus and asking God to open our eyes again to show us something new. So let's just pray. Father God, thank you that we know that you are the God of the whole universe, that you created the whole world and more than we could possibly imagine, and you are bigger than we could possibly imagine. There is always more to know of you, and you love to reveal yourself to us. You love to show us yourself. So I just pray today, this morning, and throughout this Advent period, but right now, that you would open our eyes to look upon you afresh. And would you reveal something new to us today? Amen. So, 700 years before Jesus was born, whilst the nation of Judah, a tribe from the southern kingdom of the Israelites, were in desperation, facing impending war and destruction, the prophet Isaiah speaks light and hope into their dark situation and promises a saviour. Isaiah 9 uh, verse 2 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love this passage. It's just packed with power. And so over these four Advent Sundays, we're going to take one of these names each week to pause and gaze upon afresh. So today we have the pleasure of exploring Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful in this passage literally means beyond understanding, incomprehensible. The word is much weightier than the way we use it in everyday language now. We say things like, oh, have a wonderful day, which means have a really great day, or that was a wonderful performance, like meaning it was really brilliant. But the word wonderful here means so much more. This very same Hebrew word for wonderful is used in a story in the book of Judges where Manoah, Samson's father, asked God, who is represented by an angel, what his name is. And it says the angel of the Lord responded, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Which doesn't quite make sense in our language, but this is translated from the Hebrew as, why do you ask my name, since it is beyond your understanding? Jesus is wonderful in a way that is beyond our understanding. He is mind-boggling. Jesus is incomprehensible. He literally causes us to be full of wonder. Have you ever felt like that before? Like Jesus literally blows your mind. Maybe the first time you got to know him or when he's given you some fresh revelation of himself that just seems too good to be true. Like you're no, I can't understand you. I can't get my head around you. It's just too much. I can't take it in. Those moments of revelation are precious. The second part of his name, this name given to Jesus, is counsellor. In ancient Israel, the word counsellor didn't mean therapist, like God is some infinitely big therapist. Um, No, the word counsellor here was portrayed as a wise king, such as Solomon giving guidance to his people. Isaiah uses this word again in chapter 28 to describe God. He says, he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And in chapter 25, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Jesus has wisdom beyond what we could possibly comprehend or imagine. And we see this, don't we? He was completely revolutionary countercultural, counterintuitive. He turned everything upside down. Jesus said things like, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You're blessed if you're mourning. Rejoice and be glad if you're persecuted. Whoever wants to save your, their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The world had not seen anything like it before Jesus came. The creator of the universe comes as a servant, not on a mighty triumphant horse, but 
riding a donkey on loan for the day. The Cambridge definition of wisdom is the ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. Who'd have thought that in God's great wisdom, he would have chosen to be born into poverty to a teenage virgin, virgin in the time of ancient civilization under Roman oppression? It's crazy. Another name that we've possibly forgotten to pause and gaze over that Isaiah uses to describe Jesus is Emmanuel. Chapter 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. In the book of John, he says, The word, Christ, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, in his incomprehensible wisdom, decided to be born as Jesus, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this wasn't a whim, some great idea scribbled on the back of a napkin that he might regret later. In God's wisdom, he decided to do this. This decision was thought through, intentional and purposeful. Now, ultimately, we know that the purpose was that God was reconciling all things to himself. In Colossians, it said, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But as this is Christmas and not Easter, I don't want to jump to the end of the story because there's so much that we can miss. I want us to pause and gaze at the bit before Jesus' death and resurrection, and to consider the significance of the, of the name Emmanuel, God with us. What was God's wisdom behind God with us? What did God hope to achieve that couldn't be achieved by some, much, some other much more straightforward means? And that's just what I want to spend a few minutes looking at now. I want to suggest three things that out of his wisdom, God was intentionally doing when he decided to be God with us, Emmanuel. First one, this is God pursuing us. Earlier in the year, um, our eldest son, uh, Jake, he did his gold Duke of Edinburgh Award, which involved a four-day, three-night independent hike in the Brecon Beacons with a group of his peers. Each young person is responsible for carrying all their own belongings, including all the food and the water they need for the entire time. There's always a tussle between my kids and me with these kind of things, but I'm trying to load them up with as much food and snacks as possible because I can't bear the thought of them being hungry. And, you know, I'm trying to put things in the bag and they're taking things out and you can imagine the scene. Um, so this last trip, because it was four days, it was a very fine balance between having enough food for sustenance but not wanting to carry more uh, weight than that was required. But one thing that Jake had specifically spoke, chosen as a little treat to keep him going was some pepperami sticks. 
you know you can get five in a pack, and I think I bought them at least three packs. You had 15 pepper army sticks. Um, you can't carry many treats uh, on this kind of thing. So these were special, and I was a happy mum because he had some treats to take along with him. So anyway, all is well. Jake goes off on his trip, and we're all happy until... I opened the fridge door and discovered that Jake has forgotten his pepper army sticks. Now, I know it sounds so trivial, but I can't tell you how I felt. Honestly, I literally had to talk myself out from getting in the car and driving an hour and a half <laughs> to give him his pepper army sticks. If I didn't think he might have failed um, by his mum turning up with these pepper army sticks, I might actually have actually gone. Um, but it reminded me of another similar story, and Owen has given me permission to share this. Um, when Owen was 17, so similar age, his mum happily waved him off from the coach station in Manchester on a three-week trip to the States um, with the air cadets. And again, everyone was happy. But in fact, Owen had forgotten his coat and that's three weeks in the States, forgotten his coat. Now, Owen was blissfully unaware of this until partway along the journey, it's probably only about 10 minutes into it, but the coach pulls up at some traffic lights and some seemingly random person starts running along the outside of the coach, banging on it as they go and everyone's wondering who this crazy person is until they get to the door and the door opens. And Owen realises it is, in fact, his mum. <laughs> Coat in hand. Owen was a tad embarrassed. But that's what mums do. I get it. That's what parents do. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. God with us, Emmanuel, God's wisdom, his purpose was to chase us down. God is not passive, reserved, complacent, sat somewhere with his feet up waiting for us to make the first moved, move. No, this is God literally chasing us down. In the story of Adam and Eve, when they hid in the garden because of their shame, God came looking for them. The story of Cain killing his brother Abel, God came looking for him and said, I'll protect you. When the Israelites turned their back on God, he said, I'll give you laws to guide you. I will direct you. When the Israelites preferred to worship idols, God sent them prophets to teach them and reveal himself to them. Whatever the Israelites did, God kept coming again and again until eventually he came in the person of Jesus. Ephesians 1 says, for he, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God has been pursuing humanity since the beginning of time. And it didn't stop 2,000 years ago. Psalm 23 says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Or in many versions it says, Your goodness and love will pursue me. 
Every day of our lives, God is chasing after us. He's in hot pursuit and he's laden with good things, so much more than pepperami and coats. Jesus comes laden with goodness and love. He said, I've come to bring you freedom and hope, to heal you and make you whole, to mend your broken hearts and to give you life in all its fullness. Mansions of the Heart is a book that we recommend on our website and it talks about the various stages of faith that we go through. The challenging times, the dark times, when God feels distant, when things no longer make sense. And there's one overarching point that this book makes, that God is always, without ceasing, drawing us closer to himself. He will use the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, and whatever he can to draw us to intimacy with him. He continues to pursue us every single day, whether we like it or not. Of course, you have choice. True love always gives choice whether to love back or not. He will never force himself upon you. But be assured, whether God feels distant or close, whether life's going well or not, God is laden with goodness and love and in pursuit of you every single day of your life. So what else was God intentionally doing when he decided to be God with us? Emmanuel. This is God becoming us. Jesus 100% embraced what it is to be human He was conceived in the womb of Mary, born as a baby, grew up in a normal family, had parents and siblings and aunties and uncles. He studied, he trained, he worked as a carpenter. He ate and slept and laughed and cried. He knew what it was to feel tired and hungry, to live with uncertainty, to know loss and grief, to be misunderstood and not liked. Hebrews 4 emphasizes how Jesus embraced his and our humanity. It says, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whatever we are going through, Jesus understands. He's been there himself. He chose to experience it too. But you know, if God is incomprehensibly wise... I don't believe Jesus needed to experience it to understand. But rather, he knew that we needed him to experience it, to believe he understands. To say that again. If God is incomprehensibly wise, I don't believe that Jesus needed to experience it to understand. But rather, he knew that we needed him to experience it 
to believe he understands. Jesus experienced firsthand the joys and the challenges of life and eventually pain, betrayal, suffering and death of the worst possible kind. Richard Rohr, in his book, The Universal Christ, says this, A crucified God is a dramatic symbol of the suffering that God fully enters into with us, much more than just for us, as we are mostly trained to think. Enters into with us, much more than just for us. And he goes on to say that nothing unites like love and suffering. Think about that for a moment. Love's an easy one. It's a universal common language that we all speak around the world. But suffering, little else has the power to unite like suffering does. Think of the immediate bond you feel with someone when you realize that they've been through the same traumatic experiences you have. Maybe the loss of a child, a broken relationship, or a chronic illness. Or the solidarity and acceptance amongst seemingly very different people who may attend an addict's anonymous group. Or what about this global pandemic we've all just experienced? Has the world ever been more united? Our suffering is transformed when we realize God stands in full solidarity with us from beginning to end. Richard Raw suggests a prayer to pray to Jesus, picturing him suffering on the cross. And I'm going to read some of it now because it speaks into the impact of God becoming us. That it speaks into the impact that it really makes, that God becoming us really makes. And I just invite you to ponder on these words as I read them. They're going to appear on the screen. You maybe even would like to just pray them yourself as I read them. I thank you, Brother Jesus, for becoming a human being and walking the full journey with me. Now I do not have to pretend that I am God. This is more than enough and more than good, just to know we are doing it together. I thank you for becoming finite and limited so I do not have to pretend that, that I'm infinite or limitless. I thank you for becoming small and inferior, so I do not have to pretend that I am big and superior to anybody. I thank you for holding your shame and nakedness so boldly and so publicly, so I do not need to hide or deny our human reality. I thank you for accepting exclusion and expulsion, being crucified outside the walls and allowing me to know that I will meet you exactly there. I thank you for becoming weak so I do not have to pretend to be strong. I thank you for being willing to be considered imperfect, wrong or strange so I do not have to be perfect or right or idealize a so-called normal. I thank you for not being loved or liked by so many, 
so I do not have to try so hard to be loved and liked by anybody. I thank you for being considered a failure, so I do not have to pretend or even try to be a success. I thank you for being poor in every way, so I do not have to seek being rich in any way. I thank you, Brother Jesus, for being all the things that humanity despises and fears, so I can fully accept myself and everyone else in and through you. So powerful. So, God pursues us, God becomes us, and God models life to us. Have you ever tried to learn a new skill, maybe painting or an instrument or a new sport, and no matter how hard you try, you're just not cutting it? Um, for my birthday this year, my uh, middle son, Dan, who's 16, he took me to the driving range for a golf lesson. Now, he's very good, and I have a lot to learn. <laughs> um, remembering the familiar phrase, practice makes perfect, I could have mistakenly thought that if I just kept hitting that ball again and again, that eventually I would master it. But um, as I learned from Dan, that is definitely not the case. I learned the very specific technique of feet shoulder width apart, soft knees, correct hand grip, keep my left elbow straight, my wrist twist toward me, twist through my knees. And like, as I've remembered one thing, I forget another. He was very, very patient with me on that day. Um, if Dan had not been instructing me, Practice on its own would definitely not have made perfect. Practice just makes permanent. If I want to get good at golf, I need to be practicing the right thing. Hebrews chapter 12 says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you ever feel weary of trying to be a good Christian? Like you've lost heart, you thought you could do this thing, but... It turns out you're not so good at it after all. Maybe you've tried to combat that bad habit and you started off really well, but now you've slipped too many times and you've given up even tr trying. Maybe you had a really good plan to be just like Jesus, to be more loving, more patient, more gracious, and then you lose it with the kids again before school for the sixth day running or the 25th day running. And I speak from personal experience there. I felt this regularly with the whole healing thing. I flipped between seeing someone healed and feeling full of faith to not seeing healing and being devoid of faith. How easily I grow weary and lose heart. I wonder when I practice what Jesus does and I try to be really good at being a Christian, this being a Christian thing, 
Maybe I'm practicing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm just trying to hit that ball again and again in the hope that I'll improve. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to consider Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to copy him so that we won't grow weary and lose heart. I think Jesus modeled for us how to be human more than how to be a good Christian. Jesus is not just God and not just man, but God and human together. And he modeled what the full human life could look like. A human life in union with God. So what did this look like? Well, Jesus knew his identity. He knew who his father was. He took time to be with God, to be intimate with him, called him dad, received his affirmation. He trusted God, believed his promises and his actions showed that. He watched for what God was doing, listened for his promptings and followed his lead. He depended on God as the source of everything he did. Jesus showed us how to be before how to do. Our doing always flows out of our being first. Because Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, modeled the fullest of life to us, being one with the Father, there is hope that it can be our experience too. So, Jesus is the wonderful counsellor, incomprehensible, beyond understanding in wisdom. God's wisdom doesn't separate us from him, make him distant, aloof, untouchable, quite the opposite. He chose to be God with us, Emmanuel, to pursue us, to become us, to model life for us. It was God's wisdom that underpinned his decision to act in this incredible way. And the question I want to leave us with today is, what wisdom underpins the decisions that you make? that I make, the way we respond to God, the way we respond to others. Does it push us away? Does it draw us close? What wisdom underpins them? Let me say this to you. God's wisdom is available to us too. I just want to finish with some encouraging words from James, who is Jesus' brother. So in the book of James, chapter 3, it says this, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you.
Can I just invite you just to stand with me? Just want to take a few moments. We've got plenty of time. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and just going to wait on him. God wants to minister to us today. He's been ministering to us throughout this morning, but there's more. And God wants to come alongside each one of us and minister to our hearts. So we just want to give him space to do that. If you're at home, join with us in this. You may want to stand as well. Close your eyes as you focus on Jesus. You might want to put your hands out as if you're just receiving something, something from him. Father God, I just thank you that you are incomprehensible, that you are beyond what we could imagine or hope for or even understand. But it doesn't make you untouchable. It doesn't make you distant. It doesn't make you unknowable. Quite the opposite. In your wisdom, you've pursued us. You've chased us down. You've become us. You've modeled life to us. Thank you that you're here right now in this room. Spirit of God, I just ask that you would rest upon us as we wait on you. Thank you that you come laden with good things. Good things for each and every single one of us. You know what we need. You know what we come with this morning. Just going to wait in this silence. Jesus is intentional. He knew you were going to come here this morning. He knows how he wants to bless you. How he wants to draw alongside you. Maybe that he's bringing things to your mind. Just press into that. It may be that you just... Feel peace, that you're just being open. That's great, just press into that. I think there's some of us here that we just want to have that fresh revelation of Jesus. We just want to be mind-blown again or... Maybe even for the first time. And Jesus just says, yeah, I want to reveal more of myself to you. I am here. Just tell him how you feel. And he wants to come. Today, he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to blow you away. And some of you, as I was talking about suffering... And I feel this is particularly for someone that's sat at home right now, that you say, that's me. Yeah, I'm in that place. Life is so tough at the moment. And I just believe Jesus is just coming to you and saying, I stand with you in full solidarity with you from beginning to end. You're not alone. I'm with you. 
Jesus is just touching different ones of you. He's resting on you. Just press into that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. And if you're feeling weary and like you've lost heart with your journey of faith, Jesus, I just believe, is coming alongside you right now and saying, let me show you what life in all its fullness looks like. Let's lower the bar. Just be you. Let me show you how to be you in union with me. Thank you, Jesus.